and welcome to Difficulty Class, a show where we gather around this podcast table in your ears and talk about some dungeons and dragons. Each week, we or a listener like you, writing into difficultyclass at gmail.com, come up with a topic, question, encounter, or anything else somehow related to RPGs. And we have some fun talking about them. I am one of your hosts, Allie Deichman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. And also this week... Hector Reyes. Yes. So... Let's just dive into this episode and you know we're going we're going to talk with Hector for a bit first before we get into anything fun. Hector, do you want to do you want to tell us who you are a little bit? Uh hi. Uh I'm Hector Reyes, uh GM/bard at large. Uh <laughs> I, I I'm about uh, I'm old. I'm like 40 and uh, <laughs> which means I've been playing Dungeon Dragons since I was I was since I was about eight, so I've played like Ooh, I've played and DM'd every almost every edition. Um, wow! Yes. Um, well, I started with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. Okay. Uh, Still, dang. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and then I was there for third and three point five, and then I was part of um, uh, what I affectionately call the Cult of Pathfinder. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, just because 3.5 was just so much and I was um, I was one of those snobs that was like dissatisfied with 4th edition um, and uh, I played Pathfinder a lot and then 5th edition came out and I that has been my definitive uh, D&D that I played uh, ever since that wizard should really pick that up the definitive edition <laughs> <laughs> they were just renamed 5e that uh, well i mean like i spend a lot of time in like indie spaces because i was also like yeah. a wolf kid that played vampire and stuff oh boy um mm-hmm. a lot of people in the indie scene like love fourth um yeah that, that's been a thing that i've been noticing recently because yeah. like i i've noticed that a lot of people are enjoying fourth edition i'm like what is happening? I had to keep this a secret that I enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. all y'all are out here just flaunting it. I, can I do this? Is this yeah, something yeah. I can do? <laughs> I had a really good friend that was like a devotee to fourth edition. Like they had all of the books and um, yeah. fifth edition came out. They got really mad. And I was like, what are you mad about? Like everybody's on board again. And then he's like, well, because there's a bunch of good things about fourth edition that got reskinned. Mm-hmm. In fourth edition that people had been complaining about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you look, uh, if you break down the class, I know it's not the topic today, but it's oh, that's fine. We, we're here to talk. Um, yeah. If you conversational look, podcast, if you look at character <laughs> classes, there are a lot of things that are encounter powers. There are oh yeah, are that that are as written work the way they did in fourth edition, but this they're 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 not named that anymore. Yeah. The, the well, I I think I think that might be left over from the fact that when fifth edition was first being pitched and everything, they had actually talked about this method of having it be a modular RPG where you could choose what systems you did and didn't want. And they said it was going to be a combination of fourth edition and 3.5. If you want to have the more, you know, tactics, battle mat sort of thing, there were going to be those fourth edition options available to you. What we ended up getting wasn't that at all, but I do, I, I see what you mean though. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I was a little surprised at how a lot of the crunch that I was kind of okay with, um, 
got relegated to the optional rules in the back of the DMG. What do you mean flanking is optional? Like, (laughs) what do you mean combats on a grid are optional? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm used to doing theater of the mind because I used to play a lot of white wolf games. But Mm -hmm. um, I was like, this doesn't, this is weird. (laughs) Like it's there and I can use it, but it's like, it's like, you have to talk about it at session zero. It's not like a given. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, that's good to know. I can I can openly talk about because I, I, Oba Lauren on Twitter and I actually had a, a conversation in BD Walters t- tweets one time about fourth edition and that we liked it. And BD was just like, "Y'all are heathens." <laughs> heathens. Uh, the only fourth edition book I ever owned was uh, given to me as a gift by um, I don't know if you guys know Ross Ross Thompson. Everybody knows Ross. Um, he used to run Kingdom Con. Um, back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, he's a friend, and he gave me um, from the game room, um, because you used to, like, play games, and you get tickets, and then you turn them in into the treasure room, and mm-hmm. uh, he knew how much I loved Dark Sun. Oh, um, God. I was one of those nerds. Now, mind oh, you, no. I, I, had the box, but I was a, I was 13. Um, Hector. I was 13, <laughs> and it was deserts, and there was, like, you know, you know, there was brown people in it. <laughs> oh, see, I, I I get that, and I I love that part of it, but I just, uh, oh my god, it was like Conan the Barbarian with brown people, and I was like, oh, super tall elves that like run like Chitara from Thundercats, like it was, <laughs> it it hit all of these different beats for adolescent yeah. me. So he's like, I have this book for you, and all of a sudden, like it's the slender like with the Thrycreen on the cover art, and I was just like, oh, and I was like thirteen again, and I just was like. It's dark, son. Like, <laughs> I, I like, you know, tiptoed away with it. And he's like, you can have it. And I'm like, thank you. And <laughs> only for it. And I only read it for like the flavor. I was, yeah. like, I was like, I yeah. don't understand any of these rules. I don't. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you're retconning everything about the setting? Well, okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't read uh, the first book, which that's what fourth edition did. Fourth edition was like, the first book happened. Everything else didn't. Do whatever you want. And I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> um, well, uh, we are we're not here to talk about Dark Sun or Fourth Edition. No. We're here to talk about a specific type of, of gameplay, which is uh West Marches. Yes. Um and th- this is a style of game that I actually learned about from one of your players mm-hmm. um, and just kind of dove into and read and watched as much as I could about it because it was a very fascinating style of game that was still D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what exactly is a West Marches game? So a West Marches game is a game designed for um, people who have lives, um, <laughs> people who have jobs and children. And what it does that is that it tackles the big beast that all GMs and players have to deal with, scheduling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so what you do is you have a... Uh, a place, a base of operations, uh, either a small city or a big town on the edge of some kind of frontier. Um, And then from that frontier town, which far to the east of that is either an ocean or field, something 
empty and there's civilization on the eastern side mm-hmm. and it's all boring it's peaceful <laughs> there's, no, there's no war there's no conflict there's no great search for a macguffin it's just plain old boring while west of the town is uh wilderness ancient ruins monsters danger and capital p plot um and so, I, I, I was picturing all of this i was following you along in my head right. i saw these things out in the forest and i just saw this giant letter p standing in the middle of the forest yeah. <laughs> huge. um and also the the boring to the east also extends to the town um number one rule of west marches um if you know nothing else about it is that the town is boring there is nothing going on in the town. There is no black market racketeering. There is no evil wizard mayor. There is <laughs> none of that stuff. All that super fun stuff from like Dragon Heist or like the first part of Avernus and Baldur's Gate. None of that. It's just a nice, <laughs> wonderful place to live. The innkeeper is nice. Um, and the adventure is outside of the town. Yes. Um, and it's also borrows some... Uh, um, it borrows a little bit from MMOs uh, and from what a lot of old school D&D gamers would call, um, what is it? Hex, Hexcraft? Hex. Oh, yeah. Hex grids. Yeah. Hex grids. Hex crawl uh, is what it's called. Mm, and um, okay. what you do is the further out of the town you go, the more dangerous the encounters become, regardless what your level is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very like you have the town and then it's kind of like, I'm fighting crabs. Like when you, <laughs> when you like leave the immediate town and then you go further out and then you're like, oh no, they're like giant crabs. And then further out, you're like, oh my God, there's an elithid that they're worshiping. Like, it's kind of like that. Jesus, <laughs> that escalated uh, quickly. That escalated quickly. Um, one of the things, there's several articles, uh, that have been written about it. Um, one written by, oh gosh, what's this? Aris Ludi is the name of the of the original article. And it was a, a grand experiment. Now, <laughs> I kind of, I'm rambling on about like the, the nuts and bolts of it, but like the way it defeats uh, the attendance debacle is that there is no set adventuring group. There is a pool of players anywhere between, I want to say like 10 to 40. God, but that's like that number still just blows my mind every time right, you right. say it. Uh, I, I will say that like when you're, <laughs> you're doing the big, big numbers, if I can give a piece of advice, have more than one uh, DM. Oh. <laughs> more than one DM. Uh, but uh, as someone who has done uh, close to that number, um, it's it's very intense. Uh, and it's a rotating cast. So mm-hmm. it's drop in, drop out. Um, and as I said, it's designed to tackle real life because sometimes you're so busy with work and school and your kids uh, that you can't play more than once a month. Mm-hmm. And that's all you have. And there are some people that can play once a week. There are some people that can play twice a week. There are some people that can play, you know, three times a month. It's it it's all varies. Sometimes you can play once a week for a month, but then all of a sudden, you know, work needs you to work overtime, so you can only game uh, once a month. So it's 
it is a whole thing uh, in terms of giving people the opportunity to drop into the story. Allie, how does a 10 to 40 player pool sound to you? So it sounds like you need to pay someone for scheduling purposes purely, not even to DM, because just even getting like five people together in a room is like the most complicated thing apparently in regular D&D. So I can only imagine with West Marches. <laughs> you know what I just realized? You, you, you'd be called the party planner. <laughs> the, party, the party planner. Um, well, I mean... Uh, usually I recommend when you get into the double digits that you just, uh, get more GMs to help you. Like it becomes incredibly unmanageable, like at a certain point, <laughs> like usually around 20 or so is when it all starts mm-hmm. to, the spinning plates all just sort of start crashing on the ground <laughs> and you need mm-hmm. some help. Uh, but the, the way that it's possible is, um, it's a rotating cast. So what you're doing is whenever you go out on adventures, it's never the same group of adventurers every single time. They just sort of mm-hmm. rotate in and out um, constantly. Um, yeah. And it's a, just a different band uh, every time you go out. Uh, and that way, anybody who um, can only make games, say, once a month or can only make game. You know, some people can only make game like, you know, twice a month. Some people can make it every week. Some people can make it a couple of times a week. So it just, it all really, yeah. uh, it's it's to allow people who are super busy with like jobs and kids and everything else in their life to still be able to play D&D uh, without worrying about the, 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 the big monster in the room of scheduling, which <laughs> just seems to defeat so many regular sit down games. Mm hmm. So I have a question regarding like drop in, drop out, because we kind of had a very minor version of that, like a long time ago in my original like fifth edition group. And the the problem that kept popping up was the concept of what level everyone was at. Right, right. So there's a couple of uh, specifically the level issue. There's some solutions to that. Uh, one is... Um, in the, there's this really cool article, another article, um, in Reddit West Marches, uh, which was a guide to West Marches, which was written a couple of years before, like, the original article was written, that kind of, like, addresses that, uh, and that's the idea of a sliding, like, a sliding level cap. Like, everybody comes into the game, like, first level, and then, uh, your adventures are capped, like, let's say your level cap is, like, three, Right? And no one can go above third level until, like, a certain thing in the plot happens. And then after that, anyone else new that joins the game starts at level three. And everybody that wasn't level three yet automatically goes up to level three. And then your new cap is, say, five or six. And every yeah. time a major story goal is accomplished by the greater group, um, then everyone that is, like, you know, and you keep sliding up and up and up and up and up until you get all the way to 20 essentially and one of the things is is you never want the players in your group to be more than five levels apart yeah because i mean like (laughs) trevor knows with his recent game with uh (laughs) is that that huge like level disparity can can cause issues not just for the dm but also for like sometimes like the power levels of players can feel so different 
Le- legitimately, one of my favorite moments in the game was Uthal getting hit by something and him going, that was fine. And then Tom getting hit by something and going, oh, God, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like, the level caps, like, really help keep sort of everyone, you know, it gives people time to catch up. But at the same time, you know, if you accomplish a big story thing, then boom, like everybody kind of gets a boost. And then if people end up joining later, they get a character that's a little bit more powerful than a level one. Um, I, I, I have run West Marches where there was like a difference of like 10 levels between players. And that is, that required some good old fashioned encounter building and encounter calculators to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, like, it got really dangerous for my level one characters, um, because, like, as characters, they were like, we want to go on, we want to go on the adventure, and they're like, well, I'm, like, level 10, and I'm heading, like, a hundred miles away from town to deal with the (laughs) Lich Lord, if you want to come along, um... Which resulted in some level one characters getting some pretty sweet loot, but almost dying several times. (laughs) So that is how, uh, that's the best solution I found is, is the sliding level caps going all the way up. Um, that way everybody's kind of on the, on the same level. I yeah. like that. Cause that's, it keeps a good cohesive campaign between like, up to, like you said, up to like 40 people. And also there's still that leveling. So you don't, you're never stagnant. So that way it's like, well, I've only played like once a month, but I'm still leveling up. So it's like, that still feels good as a player mm-hmm. to come into. Absolutely. The uh, I think the other thing that some people might be wondering about, because it's definitely something that I wondered about when uh, when Caitlin first talked to me about this style of game, was what do you do if you end in the middle of something going on? Ooh, like I'm so excited about talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that I will that I highly encourage all listeners to steal from me because I myself stole it from somebody else. Um, and I definitely stole it from you. <laughs> yes. So I was on Obsidian Portal, which is like what I use to keep track of all of my games and things. And I just did like a search for West Marches, and somebody had run a West Marches in the Forgotten Realms of all places. Um, <laughs> and they created a city with enchanted walls. Uh, and I was like, uh, enchanted walls? How are the walls enchanted? And essentially what it does is that when the adventure is over, they teleport you back to the city. Mm-hmm. Instantaneously. Ooh. No matter how far outside of the walls you are. And I took that idea and I turned it into like a major plot point, which I've used in multiple of my West Marches games. Which is, uh, you get marked by the walls as like the champions and protectors of the town slash city. And you go further out, and the way it works is once you've reached the end of the adventure, or you've reached the end of your character's purpose in the story, i.e. it's 10 o'clock, I have work in the morning, and I gotta go. (laughs) Um, The magic of the walls will, like, there'll be, like, a flash of light and will teleport you back to the city. Um, And... Which means you've got to make the journey every single time. And it's never a situation where and where the pool is always back at home base by the end of the session. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, the 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 time that I that I stole that, I turned it into an amulet. 
and Ooh. it was when we were running the um the bookstore games, was, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was before it was before Allie became a DM. You're actually a player in that, I think. Yes. Um, it was when we were doing uh Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I my the my co DM and I were like, okay, well we we can't fully run this. How are we gonna do this over the course of a month? And so I pitched the idea. I was like, oh, well, my friend Hector has this really cool idea for his Westmarch's game. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we, we had it where at the end of the night, everyone was teleported back. But the amendment that we made to it to, to keep the game going and try to get people to come back each week was the next time they go in, they're teleported right back to where they were. Oh, yeah. So I actually had some players kind of come up with the idea, and, and this has happened in pretty much every West Marches I've run is to create home bases further out in the wilderness. Oh, interesting. Yes. Ooh. That use the same white Jade, as I call it. That's what it's called in, in my homebrew world. Um, you know, one, they were like, Oh, well we, they imported a bunch of it to like build it around this particular farm stead that they found way out in the wilderness. Um, so they're able to sort of like teleport hop, like across the West Marches, um, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, um, they're, they're literally building checkpoints. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. And it was um, because one of the last West Marches uh, games that I did, um, I got from the lighter article, the Reddit article, which says that if you're going to do West Marches and you want to make travel important, this one I actually had to kind of fight some of my players about because um, they didn't really <laughs> like it, uh, which is using the um, the long rest rule, the realistic long rest rules. Oh, God. Which is a long rest takes a week and yeah. a short rest takes a day. Oh, my God. And the way I compromised it was that is how it is in the wilderness. But if you are in a dungeon or a place of rest, if you're like in a homestead, like a farm or something like that, or if you're back in the town or you're in a dangerous dungeon then the regular rest of rules apply. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It makes random encounters while traveling feel that much more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and they have to manage oh, their resources yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine everyone who travels is like, we need a warlock. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but you don't end up getting hosed when you go into the big scary dungeon, because I don't want them to be hosed in the dungeon. Like, I want yeah. the pacing for the dungeon to be intense and to be fast. And uh, I've actually had some players in a game, like, are, like, making the cannonball run to get into a dungeon so they can take a short rest that only lasts an hour. I I was thinking that I was like, man, I would be fucking gunning for du for dungeons. <laughs> it's like, guys, I've been sitting on five HP for like four days. Can we can we please go into the scary dungeon? Please, please. And of course, the scary dungeon has its own like you know. There's like yeah, the scary dungeon that has like monsters patrolling every hallway and like is the lair <laughs> of a dragon. And they're like, yes, mm -hmm. please. Like, I need an hour nap. Just watch me. <laughs> Um, so we're the the second part of the show. We're gonna go more in depth into some of the games that you've run in this. But what what has like what what's been like the best takeaway from running this style of game? Like what what is it that you've been like? Oh, this besides like you know the the player pool and them. I don't know if we actually mentioned this part. Uh, one of the things that I know that you did because Caitlin talked to me about was that you had it where it's like your players decide 
who's going to be there. Like, you're like, I can play this day, and then they figure it out. Yes, so the scheduling, the spirit of West Marches, of a classic West Marches game, is that the DM does not handle scheduling. Uh, Your job as the GM is to be uh, as available as possible. So GMing West Marches is for people that have uh, plenty of free time, or they work from home, um, or they set their own schedule. The ideal... um, or someone yeah. who maybe works part time uh, is the ideal GM for West March. Is somebody that has a couple days a week available um, to run, while everyone else, your players, are supposed to actually do the scheduling. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Based on their availability, and then you sort of sit back and then gently moderate. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna harken back to to. The last episode I was on, uh, when we were talking with Char, <laughs> she was she talked about how when she was working and starting up her actual play um, game, that the DM's job was only to DM, that someone else was in charge of recording, someone else was in charge of social media, someone else was in mm-hmm. charge of scheduling, someone else was in charge of everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's like that concept. I don't know why I'd never thought of that before. But this is like two weeks in a row for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's starting to get like a little bit imprint on my brain where I'm like, hmm. Yep. And, it, and it's not just scheduling. It's also the map. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You have, as the GM, you will, you have a map that you will never show your players. Uh, they create the map themselves. Ooh. Um, and you can do that as a plot point. Like my favorite has always been a table in the inn that, that is carved into, or one game I did, uh, a blank tapestry where, um, if you touched it, it pulled the memory out of the character's head and put the image of the map on there, you know, in case somebody doesn't have the right tool proficiency, like, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like, you, you know, I'm like, I don't want the rules to get in the way. Like, it's magic. It just works. Um, uh, and then <laughs> I, the, I feel like but, that could be a tagline for this show. I don't want the rules to get in the way. Right, right. <laughs> and um, so they're creating their own map. They are. I, I did in one of my games. They were like, please, please. Can we have an outline? We cannot figure this out. And I was like, okay, here's an outline that's totally blank. And they're like, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you put the map making in their hands. You also, um, to answer Trevor's question, one of my favorite takeaways from this is, is another thing that you can do, which is, um, recaps. Um, Mm. I have, I bribed my players with inspiration tokens, which is essentially inspiration that you can save and that you can give to other players in addition to yourself. Um, and you get one inspiration token uh, per recap, adventure recap that you write. Oh. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really, it's really, really fun to kind of, it's one more thing to keep track of, but it's one of those things I've, I'm delighted to keep track of because I get a whole bunch mm-hmm. of fiction out of it. that i get to just kick back and 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 read and give me like you know ideas for for plot for future plot you know because i'm able to kind of go back and like look at all the recaps and the recaps don't have to be like full-on short fiction 
they can just be, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. But sometimes, you know, you tell players recaps, and then before you know it, they're writing entire novels that take place in your universe. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, for me, it's just Uthal's long list of titles. <laughs> that's that's how we tell our story (laughs) yes yes but that i would have to say uh out of all of them that's my my favorite takeaway is the uh you know the map making and the and the recaps and the and the inspiration tokens like i love it that's what i like a lot so as far as like the map making goes like you you build your own map and then you never show that to the players i got that right right yeah yeah um, and then you, and then, um, as I said before, it's kind of like an MMO thing where you create zones further out and then you can make your own. I mean, you can either find ones online cause there's tons of random encounter tables online. Right. But what I did was, uh, I created custom random encounter tables, um, with help from the DMG and various, and the monsters manual, of course, in terms of region. So you like, you would draw your map. So you would know this is plains and this is forest and this is a lake and this is an ocean. And then you just go into like the monsters manual or the DMG and you just look at the lists of monsters by CR according to like what mm-hmm. land mass it is. And you just fill it in, you know, real quickly. And th- there are other people online that have done created tables. Um, that way you have random encounters for your players as they're traveling further and yes. further out. That's like one of my favorite world building things is filling in a map with creatures based off of like region. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes a lot of sense. Like Trevor and I have kind of harped on a little bit of Paizo before where it's like, why is this satyr in this dungeon? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> he's, he's the appropriate CR. Yeah. And it's like, okay. But then it's like, I love filling in like, the appropriate thing with the appropriate level just that's like one of my favorite things because <laughs> yeah. the players really get involved in the encounter too because it makes sense uh i also never throw away a dungeon um when i'm running west mm. marches um because i can like after they've cleared out said dungeon something else from the region can move in Ooh. <laughs> um, oh and if they ever go back to rest in said dungeon then they encounter a whole nother slew of monsters that are different that I love it. Yeah. You're legit making like a games as service, like tabletop RPG. I freaking like you're saying all these things. I'm like, man, I wish destiny had this. (laughs) (laughs) It's, 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 it's really, really cool. And like another thing they talk about in the, in the standard process of West marches is the idea of pockets of super danger. Um, so, like, let's say you're going through, like, a CR1, CR2 zone, and they tell you, um, make places like, you know how in, uh, was it Lord of the Rings where they did with the Barrow Rites and the Old Forest? Yeah. They mm-hmm. said, make places like that. Make places that are way beyond the CR that is appropriate in the middle of a small CR zone so they have something to go back to. Like, magic doors that, that are unopenable um, without, like... Oh, see, now you're speaking Castlevania to me, and I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you what give them little clues that they want to go back and solve. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, so they get to the point where it's like, well, I'm level eight, but remember that first dungeon we went in where we couldn't open the door because we didn't have a high enough uh, spell to open it? Let's go back. Um, and then you go back, and lo and behold, like, you have like a dragon in there in the middle of this like CR one zone um, to, you know, 
give people something to go back to, you know, uh, and not just be I like, well, it. we cleared this area. I have no reason to go back there, like, ever. So, I also enjoy the fact that you don't have to, like, level lock places, so to speak, but you could also, like, class lock places. Like, if you have an entire party of fighters that just happen to be together, and it's like, oh, yeah, this area requires the magic spell knock in order to get in. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. they wouldn't be able to. They'd have to make a note, ask for a spellcaster to come with them. <laughs> Yeah, and it, there there are wonderful ways of also uh, background locking places a little bit. Uh, I had in a city in the Underdark um, that was filled with, like, albino hobgoblins that worshipped Loth. Because uh, <laughs> I don't do drow in my world. Well, I do drow, but I do them differently than what is standard. Yeah. Um, and I had an urchin in my game. And you would think in this game an urchin would be useless because the urchin's power is to... Uh, double uh, travel speed, like when in an urban environment. Um, mm-hmm. But I made it so that if you ever enter a dungeon that is urban, um, that is all stone and roads and city-like, then your urchin power activates. Oh, cool. Um, Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And so I made it its own, like, big... Because it was, like, miles wide. So it was its mm-hmm. own, like, big, like, metroplex. And the urchin was able to get them from point A to point B and at the same speed that the ranger could uh, over land. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mostly because it also allows players to still be f- freely creative with their character building because like, if you go into a game at session zero, you say like, oh yeah, this is going to be a lot of wilderness travel, a lot of dungeon crawling, and they're going to be like, okay, I'm going to pick the wanderer background. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, hang on. Before you do that, I want you to know that the city watch background can actually be applicable in these cases. <laughs> So they could still freely choose what they would want to pick as a background. Mm -hmm. Yep. I love it. Um, We're going to take a break real quick to do our little mid-show stuff. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, Hector's games that he's run. But first, let's do some Champions Loot. This is part of the show where we give out a code for idle champions uh, that you can put on any of the numerous platforms it's available on and get a free gold chest on us. This week's code is E-R-U-V. A-G-M-A-S-U-R-F. Put that in, Isle Champions. Get some good loot and uh, take a screenshot of it and send it to us at Difficulty Class on Twitter because we'd love to see what you get. Getting them shinies, getting them purples, and kicking evil's butt. Uh, Hector, we, you, you've got a, you got a spotlight for us. Um, oh, uh, yes, I do. So it's been so long ago that we talked about this. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I would definitely like to spotlight, uh, zine quest three hashtag zine quest three. Um, it is a, a movement, um, I, as you could say in the indie tabletop RPG scene, it's a great event that is sponsored by Kickstarter, um, where lots of independent uh, tabletop RPG writers write little mini magazines, like in the old school days, uh, with uh, dungeons <laughs> and monsters and sometimes entire games. Uh, the easiest way to uh, find it is just to, you know, uh, go on Twitter and look up hashtag ZineQuest3. This is the third year that they've done it. Um, and throughout the month of February, they'll will be all these uh, Kickstarters launched um, supporting these projects. And I just want to kind of spread the spotlight onto them and, and go out there and uh, support some some talent, some Heck yeah. talent out there. Oh gosh, you know? yes. 
There, there, there is some amazing, amazing stuff going on in the indie t- uh, tabletop RPG scene, and the, I, I had actually not heard about this before. I'm very excited to keep an eye on it this year and see what happens with it, because I, I got a feeling something, some good stuff's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. For, for sure, I'm, I'm really, really, really stoked. Like one of them that I'm looking at is. Uh, on the rooftops, I think it's called, and you play uh, children in an industrial revolution era fantasy setting. So it's oh. like oh Oliver God. Twist or Newsies with magic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh my God, I want to walk into a movie studio and just pitch. All right, it's Newsies, but with magic. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's loosely based off of, I don't know if you ever read that book, The Thief Lord. Uh but, you know, uh, it sounds familiar. It's kind of based on that a little bit, you know, kids, okay. magic, okay. clockwork. It's a whole thing. Um, but that's just <laughs> that's one. Aesthetic. Yeah. But that's just like one thing. Like, it's just like a whole bunch of people are like, look at this dungeon. Like, look at this adventure. And uh, it's just sort of honoring the old school style of zines from the 80s. Yeah. where People used to write their own personal dungeons and adventures and mail them to each other. Oh yeah, like the the fact that like Chris Perkins got his start by writing for the for Dragon Magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that's kind of like, how Ravenloft got its start too. It all started yeah. in magazine. Yep. I I wish we still had like I know we got the app and the app's cool and I keep up on the news and stuff there, but I'm like I would love to have like a print version of this. That'd be so cool. Well, <laughs> I mean, Ar- we have Arcadia. Have you heard about Arcadia? Yeah. Arcadia I actually just up. learned about yeah I just learned about it recently I, I need to get in on that uh, I saw that like James was writing for it and I was like oh he's so nice <laughs> I follow him on Twitter <laughs> I just got really excited <laughs> oh it's that. people I know like <laughs> um but yeah so uh look up the the hashtag zine quest 3 on Twitter uh and Find some uh, really awesome indie, de- uh, indie. I almost said indie developers like this is a video game show. Indie tabletop RPG developers that are you know uh, going to be making some really cool stuff throughout the ma- month of February. It's going to be kind of hard for us to tweet this part out, but like we'll keep you updated as it goes live through February to the best of our abilities. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's let's dive into like how West Marches in practice has gone for you. How many West Marches games have you run? Not, not, I don't mean like sessions. I mean like different. Oh games. yeah. Yeah. Different campaigns. Uh, okay. Let me see here. Uh, Port Shore Blossom into the green songlines over starlight. Oh my God. And mask and mask. Yeah. So four. Okay. Okay. But they have titles and names. I, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. So there's there's four of them. Um, Port Shore Blossom. And then, like, there's... I tried to do Exalted sort of West Marches, like, rotin, rotate in and out. But I would oh say... Oh, my God. Yeah, that one was rough. Like, I did that with 10 players, and it got a little a little bonkers. That was Hakra Chronicle, and that was a lot. And I realized that Exalted is not a very good drop-in, drop-out game once people... Um, gain their demigod powers uh oh so uh so technically uh port shore blossom was the first um and okay that one lasted about a year year and a half um and that was you know classic uh west marches uh with the zones and the magic wall um and the rotating cast and that was uh almost 30 players at a certain point 
Wow. Um, and I really enjoyed that. That was the first one that our that our friend Caitlin that they played in. Um yeah. and that one was really, really intense. Um and then I I really enjoyed it. The only issue I ran into that one was rules interpretations. Mm. Started to get a little intense among some of the players so i ended up like ending the game because i was like that stressed um <laughs> yeah i was just like i'm really stressed about this i like i need to play something else um yeah or run something else i could well because because like uh, that that's the thing like i i love like the 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 idea of a west Marges game like on paper sounds so freaking cool and I want to do it so bad, but like I, I at one point sat down to do it and immediately just got intimidated by. It. I'm like, I actually don't have the time to do all the stuff I want to do with yeah. this. So yeah, I I could see it being a massive source of stress, but also a big source of fun. It oh, is. Yeah. It's it's crazy fun. And Shore Blossom was just awesome. Um, Shore Blossom also. Uh, there were some of the rules, the conventional rules that I broke. Like, I made the town too interesting, um, <laughs> which kind of blew up in my face um, a little bit. <laughs> like, some of the player characters started to, like, become deeply suspicious of the NPCs. And oh, just wow. because oh, they were... Because they didn't care about what happened beyond the walls. Because they were safe. Because the city was so big, it had, like, farmland inside of the city walls. Mm. Like, so they had really no, and it was by the water. So whatever they want needed, they could get imported from the peaceful um, civilization. And they didn't need to go beyond the wall to do any kind of hunting um, because they could just eat seafood or grow their own crops um, and the farmsteads within the wall. So they just, I don't know, the players got started to get suspicious of the NPCs and about how much they didn't care. It was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> and the next one that I ran, so Songlines um, was the one that I set up, which was going to be a podcast, which I will release one day. There's like eight <laughs> hours of unedited footage that's been sitting on my computer since March. Um and that one was super fun. That one was kind of like uh, an evolution. I was like, I was planning on not making the player pool any higher than 10. Um, and just sort of, you know, leaving it at that. But same thing, you know, the teleporting uh, wall thing. Mm -hmm. um, people coming back. Uh, I did Into the Green, which was the first time that I did West Marches purely online. Oh, okay. And I ran that through Discord using Roll20, and that one got pretty big. That one was, like, close to 25 players, and I did have other GMs to help me with that. So that was a little bit more manageable. Uh, unfortunately, it got... Mm, it got a little stressful because of the, the, the most, everything going on in the real world. So yeah. people started playing and then they would drop out and then, you know, it turned into a whole thing. And then after maybe about like five or six months, I had to just be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, but that was really, like the, yeah. The, that's, kind of, that's kind of the thing that I, I have seen with other West Marches games I've read about online is that like, it, it's, it's, it's a very fragile kind of game because... I, I've I've definitely and I think it's, it has to do with how many people are there. 
Uh, yes. Oh, good, good. Uh, well, what I'm going to say is, and I kind of want to get to Mask before I, I give this piece of golden advice okay, okay. about West okay. Marches. So then I did Mask, um, which was me taking West Marches and inverting it. So I decided, what if the city is the only interesting place and everything outside of the city is boring? Oh. I remember you pitching this to me before you started doing it. I'm like, this is interesting. So it started, <laughs> it started off as a, a paragraph Facebook vent about how I wanted to run a game where everyone plays mortals. It's low magic. It's high Italian uh, Renaissance city-state political intrigue and romance um, inspired by, like, Game of Thrones uh, mm-hmm. and the Borgias and the Tudors and the Medicis. And I was like, no one's ever going to play this. Everybody wants to play a freaking <laughs> elf, you know? Like, that's just like, it's just it's my <laughs> lot in life. Assassin's Creed, like, vibes with, like... E- exactly. <laughs> like, I want you to imagine Assassin's Creed... Two and assassin and the and the what was it Brotherhood was that the one yeah yeah like that like Assassin's Creed but like with magic um, I literally every time Caitlin talked to me about this I just pictured what they were saying as Assassin's Creed like yes. in the graphics and everything <laughs> yes uh, and then all of a sudden I had like twelve people were like that sounds great and I was like it does so I created <laughs> uh, I created Mask Shadow and Blade. Um, and that ran for about two or three years. Um, and it was all about this city state with scheming noble families and merchant princes and wizards and backstabbing and romance and everything outside of the city was like idyllic countryside and like merchant towns and (laughs) um just everything was just very nice and it was just regular folks just living their lives like not having any concern about the church or politics or anything like that um and while i did have big sprawling virgin forests with ancient elven ruins the only way you were going to get to those was through getting involved in the messiness in the city yeah, what wasn't it something like they they couldn't at first even go out of the city? Um n- no, it was just they okay, never had okay. any reason to go out of the city. Okay. That was a I, whole I, for thing. some reason I for some reason thought I I remembered talking with Caitlin about like oh it's like a Majora's mask. He's like, "Oh, nope, you don't have the right weapons yet. Can't go out." Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I uh, I paralyzed them with boredom is what I did. I was like <laughs> You know, which just like one, just the just one scene with like you know the, the boring ass milkmaid like that lives like th- a three hours walk from the city, and they were like, yeah, there's nothing going on out here, um, <laughs> at, at all. I eventually, um, when I got into year three, I started bringing in the other city states. Um, oh, interesting. Yes, exactly. Which gave people reasons to travel, but like travel was always like. Ho-hum, like, um, until, you know, every now and then their carriage would get assaulted by, like, undead assassins. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they would be like, oh, no, the roads aren't safe. And I'm like, well, the roads are safe, but you made the wrong enemies back in the city. And now you're going to Mm -hmm. another city-state to furtherly foil their plans. So, you know, you kind of made the road unsafe for yourself. Uh, (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> also, the thing that I wanted to point out about this game, because, I mean, this is when, like, I was hearing... This one I heard more about than, than the other ones. You had... You were playing this game twice a week, so I, I I believe, and you had different players in both of those nights, and their actions influenced the other party's stuff. How did you, how did you go about doing this? Um, I was very careful with the timeline. Um, it was okay. a very big city, uh, and it, it sometimes it would get a little bit easier in terms of like I would do one session where a wizard NPC would come up to one of the characters and be like, hey, I have a map to these ancient elven ruins up the coast and I need an expedition. And then they would be like, okay. And then like that group would go up the coast uh, to a small town and they would explore the ruins and have like maybe like a little bit more of a classic adventure. Um, Mm -hmm. But then they would like get the deed to the land um, and use that as like political leverage against other characters back in the city okay and then later in the week i would have a group of players uh and i would be like oh you're all having like social hour in uh sophie's shop uh because our friend caitlin played sophie who was a uh a bard who was also um uh, a courtier they made dresses for like the high nobility mm-hmm. so everybody would be hanging out in that character's shop and then all of a sudden you know sophie's political enemies would send assassins against them and then they would have to battle <laughs> these assassins that were trying to kill them in the middle of the shop uh yeah so i would kind of keep everyone like constantly moving like across this uh this chessboard you know um, mm-hmm. away from each other in other parts of the city or other parts of the immediate country. Um, so it was kind of like a like a shell game, right? Like constantly mm-hmm. keeping everyone sort of away from each other in a particular period of time. Um, that got a little bit easier uh, to play the shell game when I started involving the other city-states um, mm. because I could just be like, oh, well, you spent a week up in Pentos and while you're away in Pentos back in Salandris, um you know shit's going down uh Mm -hmm. so that's how i managed to manage that there there was a there was a moment um uh because for the listeners just to explain hector and i know each other through caitlin and caitlin and i hung out at a bar weekly and hector and friends would be there sometimes but i i was at the bar that uh, one time and caitlin and uh, another one of our friends who played in your games was there and i wasn't even involved in their conversation but i got to i got to have this moment you know that meme that's been going around where like the the guy is proposing to the woman and there's two guys like in the far background just like oh my god this is so this is so precious i love this <laughs> i i i was those guys like i i like i i was i had like dm envy from afar across the fire pit because they were talking about the their games because they played on two different nights, and uh, and, and one of them said something, and Caitlin stands up and goes, "What?" <laughs> because they had this massive realization about something that you were laying out in in their story, but was coming to fruition 
in the other player's night. And so they put it together and like, I just figured something out. And I got to have this, I got to watch this amazing moment as two players discussed the game away from the table on a different night and have a freaking character realization. I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing I have ever been present for. <laughs> storytelling right there. That's so beautiful. Oh yeah. Oh I, yeah. Oh my God. Um, I will say, um, Mask made me realize uh, one of the uh, the dark side of West Marches um, that is a counterpoint to these amazing like storytelling potential you can mm-hmm. have is that West Marches does not lend itself very well to a session zero. Um, oh. You almost have to do a written document um, beforehand because you're dealing with such a large pool, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd have new people coming Mm -hmm. in and whatnot. Yes, Mm. absolutely. And I learned the hard, because, you know, we're in the Session Zero Renaissance right now, and um, which I'm very happy about. And But the problem came in is that Mask ended uh, because I allowed PvP. And I said, PvP is allowed. Um, Are you okay with that? And everyone said yes. Okay. Then some things came to a head. Like I, I ran like this big epic arc where they defeated this great evil and they saved the city and everything was good. But then we got to the point where it was almost like the second half of season eight of Game of Thrones where ever, the only <laughs> enemy that was left was each other. Um, oh god and that was the beginning of the fourth season and season four lasted maybe two or three game sessions uh before the whole like certain players laid things out to destroy another player and they pulled the trigger on it finally Uh, a trigger that i had as a gm been kind of delaying because i'm like oh no there's this big apocalyptic thing happening like you don't want to pull the trigger now. Like it'll it'll make you guys vulnerable to saving the city. Well, that was gone. So Crap. I had introduced the other big bad um, that was getting revenge, and that big bad was was like messing with some of the players. And uh, I had a TPK. Um, mm. That of course there was resurrections afterwards, but they yeah. were they ended up blaming this other player because this was essentially the other this the, the the new big bad was getting revenge for something that player had done and other players characters had gotten killed as a result um mm-hmm. which you know my friend jen like said it best uh be mad at the villain don't be mad at the other player like the villain was the one that killed you um yeah mm-hmm. but what but that that didn't matter they it just turned into a whole like they pulled the trigger and then when i tried to as the gm like lay out like what happened um there was like out of character drama Mm. like and then i was like well and then i was like hey i said there would be pvp and everyone agreed to that and what i did not get clear with people um was pvp means something different to every player at the Mm. table okay okay I see what you're saying here. Um, so, mining words is important at session zero. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So I'm yeah. like running around thinking, oh yeah, PvP, like old school vampire the masquerade from the early 90s, like be patient oh, and God. then annihilate your enemies kind of PP, PvP, right? And like mm-hmm. what someone else was thinking, oh yeah, PvP, snarky comments at the table. Oh, PvP, uh, uh. sending assassins after my character. Oh, PvP, like politically undermining me but not threatening my life. Like it was a whole like... Everyone at the table and in the pool had like a different definition and some people were like, and then there were sides and I got to the point where I was was like, look, here's the deal. You all need to have a conversation as adults, as players to resolve this. And once Mm -hmm. the conversation is had, I will start running again. And that conversation was never had, so I never went back Mm -hmm. to run again. And this happened, like, right before uh, COVID happened. Uh, so it was just sort of like, that just was fizzled. That. Um, my biggest advice with West Marches, and they talk about this in a couple of the articles, is that the biggest challenge of West Marches is managing uh, the insecurities of your players. Yeah. Mm. Because it doesn't matter how much loot or how many sessions... Um, there's going to reach a point where people are going to feel uh, like they're not getting enough attention, you know, like other people in the pool are upstaging them, um, whether that's for storyline, whether that's for loot, whether that's for XP. Um, it can be a lot to manage. Uh, and yeah. if you're a very mature person and you know how to manage that, um, you will be very successful with West Marches for several years. Uh, mm hmm. Don't want to end things on a downer, but oh no 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 that that that's it's I I almost feel like you you kind of need a uh, like a terms of service like document you got to send new players and stuff. It's like here is what this term will mean. Like you kind of have to have this like Absolutely. living session zero that oh, yeah. you send out to people and like if someone's like oh well this is what pvp is like ah you you signed this document that said you understood <laughs> that pvp meant this definition yes it's this definition of pvp not that yeah. one um, like yeah like for, from what it from what it sounds like it, it's again just like this it, it's it's kind of it kind of exacerbates the problem that a lot of people run into with tabletop rpgs of the right group Mm-hmm. Like it's almost hard enough as it is to find even five people who are going to get along on a weekly basis to show up to agree to you know like <clears throat> this is how our game's going to go and everything like that everybody gets along it's hard enough to get that many people on board normally and so yeah to extend it to up to 40 people it there it has a lot of chances for that for the for you know tensions to flare and for personalities to you know have friction and stuff uh, absolutely and i actually got blindsided by west marches because um a lot of the issues that i used to run into when i ran larps because i used to larp a lot mm. um i've always associated sitting around the table with dice as a much less socially contentious um environment than in a live action role playing game because when you're dealing with larps mm-hmm. you're dealing with anywhere between 15 to 100 players yeah. um so i was kind of sort of used to that sort of like semi-competitive personalities clashing um 
you know, not really having a session zero, just sort of people just jumping in um, with like a piece of paper that says what's allowed and what's not. Um, and I like midway through mask, I was like, oh, no, I'm running into <laughs> LARP problems. Um, <laughs> because I don't I don't associate rolling dice and being behind the screen yeah. with those kinds of problems. I associate those problems with rock, paper, scissors and being in the middle of a park, <laughs> you know, like which just like, doing LARP. Uh, and you just kind of sort of have to like if you have any skills uh, to listeners out there, if you have any skills and socially managing LARPs in terms of spreadsheets, in terms of uh, creating house rules and social contracts. Um, use those LARP skills on West Marches. Do not be fooled by the, the by the comfort of dice and your table and your dice tower. Um, <laughs> you're you're gonna have to use those same like large social managing skills that you used in LARP. Uh, and I will definitely be using them the next time that I run a West Marches game because um, they are definitely needed. Uh, and a session zero of some kind. Um, whether it's on paper, you know, a more detailed one has definitely got to be worked out because West March is, it's a lot to keep track of. Um, I bet it's super fun, but, uh, I like the idea of like a Google doc that you can update and when new people come in, they can just see it. (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that the West March's style is starting to make its way outside of D and D. Um, some indie games are embracing this notion. I'm testing it with some indie games. Um, Mm -hmm. also OSR, which is like old school Renaissance. Like lots of people are kind of sort of doing the, the drop in drop out thing. Um, I'm using it with monster hearts where, uh, uh, everyone is like going to the same high school, but isn't necessarily in the same (laughs) class. Um, you could probably do it with monster of the week where, you know, it's like, you're part of oh, a, yeah. you're part of a greater organization of monster hunters that occasionally teams up to to deal with supernaturals like as a group, um, and everyone sort of like that. knows each other. Uh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this West Marches isn't just like a D and D thing. It's starting to to spread elsewhere just because of, like I said, the scheduling thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, oh, the scheduling thing. You're overcoming scheduling, but then you also have to manage people's personalities. So, like, that's like the oh god, yeah, the the, the two sides of the coin with West Marches. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we we are reaching here towards the end of the show. Um, Ali, do you have any last uh, thoughts or questions about West Marches? Um, not that I can think of. It honestly okay. sounds like such a fun thing, and what a crazy exercise in just world building and also storytelling with your players like the responsibility is on everyone to really kind of make this such a fun game (laughs) yeah and i really like that uh hector uh any any last things from you on uh on west marches um just it's super fun it's totally possible (laughs) um and just uh just keep your players in mind you know yeah um Session zero doesn't end, like, so you kind of got to do session zero almost every month if you're going to do West Marches. Check in with your players, you know, read yeah. the table, as you guys say. Um, <laughs> and uh, and if you're stressed and you need to take a break, just be honest. Take a break. Yeah. You can always run another West Marches game later. Um, yeah. I've run four, so uh, 
one 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 West March's aim and game ending because of stress is not the end of West March's for you. You can always go back and have that fun. I love it. Nice, uh, Hector. Thank you so much for coming on and talking yeah. with us about this awesome way of playing RPGs um, and and open it up to the listeners about your games. I really do appreciate it. Mm, thank thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, where where can uh, where can people find you if they they want to like get in or like you know follow you on Twitter or something like that? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Keiichi Okami uh, on Twitter, which uh, hopefully will be in the show notes because it's long. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll put it in there. I'll put it, it in goes there. back to my otaku days. Uh, and, I'm, and that is my my Twitter. That is my Instagram. Um, if you like TikTok, it's also on my TikTok. So, hey. uh, gotta keep that consistent branding, you know. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I am the Trevor everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm always tweeting about games and stuff, and um, and hopefully in the next year, I'll actually have some written games out there in the universe for you to play. Nice. Hey, uh, well, well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. That was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, please send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, have a good game.